Good morning. I think most of you know who I am, but I'll go ahead and do the, the introduction thing just in case. My name is Amanda Lawrence. I've been a member here for five and a half years, something along that line, since shortly after we moved to Shreveport. Um, I'm currently serving on the board. I'm a part of the Welcoming Congregation Committee. I was on the transition team back in the day. Um, the Playground Committee, go Playground. Um, uh, my day job is I'm a teacher. That's, well, really, that's more than my day job. That's kind of who I am to the core of my being. And I find that most teachers are storytellers. And so, uh, so that's where I'm going to start today, as I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. Um, the first story I'm going to tell you is a story about a pig. It's a little pig. pig goes to live on a farm. Um, the pig is very young. The pig is sort of scared. And the pig is adopted by, by the mama sheepdog of the farm. And eventually all the puppies go away to other homes, and it's just the mama, mama dog and the pig. And so, you know, the pig sort of bonds with the mama sheepdog and, and eventually starts learning to herd ducks and, and chickens in the farmyard. And so one day, the farmer decides, what the heck? I'll take the pig out into the field with me along with the sheepdog. Those of you, especially those of you with children, know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> right? What I'm telling you about is the movie Babe. Have some of you seen it? Yeah. Most of you seen it? I don't think it's actually autobiographical, although it could be. There are crazy animal stories out there. So in the movie, Babe is the pig, and they talk in the movie. It's, it's a good show. You'd, you'd like it. Um, the, the, the pig is, is a master, is a natural at, at sheepdogging, mostly because he actually talks to the sheep. It turns out if you ask nicely, sheep are more likely to do what you ask them to do as opposed to if you bite them. Who knew? Probably less than some of us could learn in that little bit of the, the story, too. At any rate, it turns out Babe is a really great sheepdog. The only problem is... He's a pig. But it comes time for the National Sheepdog Trials, and the farmer gets this crazy idea. And his crazy idea is that he's going to enter the pig in the National Sheepdog Trials. It's a ridiculous idea. Okay? And I hate to be this person. I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end. Because it may come as a shock to you, but the pig wins. And I cry every time when the pig wins, because, yeah, that's, that's who I am. The farmer took a risk, right? It was a, it was a ridiculous thing to do, to enter a pig in the National Sheepdog Trials. And yet, the pig won. So that's story number one. Story number two is actually autobiographical, because this one's about me. In 2000, I was in graduate school, and I hated it with almost every fiber of my being. But I was about a year away from admitting that I hated it. So it was, it was a smart time. And a friend of mine came to me with this story from a magazine about this breast cancer fundraiser walk and this girl who had signed up to do this thing where you not only walk 60 miles, but you have to raise nearly $2,000. Now, let me give you some context on graduate students if you don't know. Our idea of nutrition is vending machine snacks and beer. Our idea of exercise is dodging our advisors. And our idea of a big financial splurge is the new releases at Blockbuster as opposed to the old ones, right? So, so here are these two graduate students looking at this story about walking 60 miles and raising $2,000 and going back and forth as to which number is crazier, right? Which number, which of those two things is more impossible? And yet, we did it. We signed up and we trained and we raised the money from other graduate students and we walked the whole way. It didn't seem like from the outset we had the resources to do this. It seemed like from the beginning, the start of the story, there's no way we had what it took. 
that we had what we needed to do this, and yet we did. It was a crazy thing, and we did it anyway. And it was kind of a deal, because I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you there have been dozens of times in my life since then that some challenge has come up, and I thought to myself, you can do this. You walked 60 miles. This? This is nothing. So it was a crazy idea, and it, it led to great rewards. What do my stories have in common? Boldness. This idea of taking a risk, taking a leap, doing something that makes no sense on the face of it. And, at least in my stories, because I chose them carefully, reaping great rewards. We, as a denomination, have a history of boldness. And it goes back farther than I knew, because I started looking for bold stories in the history of our denomination, and I came up with Michael Servetus. Now, my guess is that you all maybe are mostly better UUs than me, and you already know the story. Okay, but I didn't, and I'm on the board, and it's kind of a big one. So let's pretend like, to make me feel better, will you all pretend like you don't know this story? And I'll tell it, even, even though maybe you all do. Michael Servetus lived a long time ago, 1511-ish, died in 1553. He was a theologian. He was Spanish. He was a theologian and physician. He rejected the Trinity. He rejected the notion of the Trinity. He said, based on some theological and some philosophical arguments, there are not three gods, there is one God. So obviously he's on sort of the Unitarian half of our heritage there. One of the things I thought was really neat was that apparently one of his motivations for rejecting the Trinity was to make Christianity more appealing to Jews and to Muslims who are monotheistic. That many people saw Christianity as a polytheistic faith. Um, and I'm, I don't know enough to have that argument at this point. But Michael Servetus did. And he had the argument, and he made it, and he was not a popular fellow at the time. It got even worse when he rejected predestination. Um, now, he wasn't rejecting the notion of hell, but he was rejecting the notion of predestination, which says that you may be condemned to hell from the get-go, regardless of what you do. So he rejected that notion as well. This made him really unpopular, in particular with, um, with John Calvin, Right? who was uh, sort of a big fan of that whole predestination thing. Um, Michael Servetus was eventually imprisoned and burned at the stake at the request of John Calvin. So we would like to pretend that all stories of boldness end well. But frankly, if they all ended well, would it be bold to try? Is it bold to do a thing that you know is going to succeed? I'm not sure that it is. I... uh, I talk to my kids sometimes about what makes somebody brave, what makes a thing brave. Um, there, was a, there was a play at school, and there was a, a little girl in the class who was terrified to have a part. And this was, this was when they were in first grade. In kindergarten, she hadn't even been on the stage. And in first grade, she stood on the stage, and she walked up the microphone, and she said what her mother claims was the line. It was hard to understand. It was hard to hear. And afterwards, I said I was so impressed with her for being so brave. And I sort of saw a look on Eleanor's face like, well, wasn't I brave? And I said, you did a great job, but I'm not sure you were brave because you weren't scared. Right? If you're not scared to stand up on stage and say your part, it's not brave to do it. It's only brave to do it if you're terrified while you do it. Right? It's only bold to do a thing. It's only bold to take a leap if you're really leaping. Right? If you're really not sure what comes after. So stories of boldness, we like to think they all end well. And most of them do, at least the ones we remember and tell. But there's a sense in which Michael Servetus' story does end well. 
Because I've got to tell you, 500 years from now, even in my most arrogant heart of hearts, I don't think somebody's standing in a pulpit talking about me. Right? So there's a certain sense in which his story does end well. We're still telling his story. Right? He has a sense, there's a, there's a type of immortality that he has from his boldness. Probably not a great comfort to him at the moment of the whole burning at the stake. But, you know, maybe. In the more recent history, Unitarian Universalists have a bold history as well. We've got lots of bold stories, right? When Martin Luther King Jr. called the people and clergy specifically to Selma, I didn't know this, another thing I found out, 20% of UU clergy nationwide showed up. How cool is that? I mean, not that there are an enormous number of us, but that that big a fraction of our clergy was willing and able to, to drop their lives and go. I think it's remarkable. I think it's bold. And the end of that story ends well for us as a country, but for many individuals who were on that march, it didn't end well. It didn't end well at the time, and it didn't end well later in their lives. Um, so there's boldness in our history as a denomination. There's also boldness in our history as a church. All Souls has a history of boldness, right? We have a history of forming a Unitarian Universalist church in Shreveport, which is not exactly a hotbed of liberal religion, right? We have a history of boldness of members literally mortgaging their own homes to build the church. I mean, that's bold, right? That's a leap. That's a real commitment that people were willing to make. We have a history of boldness when we went to Gina, right? A lot of you were here for that. Remember the story about the Gina Six? Mm -hmm. Some of you, I think, were on the trip when we went down there. Anybody not know the story? Six kids, racially divided town. Um, they, they did, in fact, beat up a boy. There's a whole series of things that go up to it. They were prosecuted, in my opinion, to, in a ridiculously harsh manner. And um, among other people, a group from our church went down to protest. This is in September of 2007. As I looked through what people said in the cottage meetings, in the visioning, when the visioning team got us together, it's one of the touchstones that people in our church come back to, as moments they were especially proud of us. Because it was a bold thing to do, right? We took a stand. We took a leap. We were bold. And we come to today. And here we are, a band of, of characters, um, of my favorite people in, uh, in this town, with a very few exceptions. Are, uh, are in these walls, at least, at least on occasion. Um, this building was founded on boldness, on the idea that a Unitarian Universalist church in Shreveport would grow to fill this space, right? We are, we are bound together by that boldness. We're bound together by our principles. We come from a lot of different places. We have a lot of different beliefs, but we're bound together by our principles. We're bound together by our shared vision, which is kind of right there in the unison affirmation, that we believe in love, we believe in a search for truth. We believe in service. But i got to tell you, I think we believe in those things mostly within these walls. We believe in loving each other. We believe in searching for truth, especially when we're here on Sunday mornings. And we believe in service here. And sometimes out in the world, but rarely as a congregation. As a congregation, I don't know. I don't feel that we're bold. Not of late. I feel like we sit here and we, we admire our past. We admire the stories of the things that we have done individually and collectively over the years. We admire the place, 
frankly, if you're me, we admire ourselves for what we do, right? For who we are. Yes, we stand. We, uh, we keep that light flickering, right? But I don't know that we're bold. I really don't know that we are. Um, one of the reasons I like for my kids to go to my parents' house, other than the fact that, you know, I like my parents, and I don't mind if my kids are going a little bit, um, is that my parents' church in Fort Smith does some really neat outreach things, some really neat service, some really neat missions. And mom tends to take the kids along. And so when they go to visit, especially around the holidays, they go and they hand out sack lunches to people who need food. They go and they pack sacks that will be given to children at the end of the week. It's this backpack program. The children who get free and reduced lunch during the week, what do they eat on the weekends? I'd never thought about it before. Um, but the answer often is not a whole lot. And if the answer is a whole lot, it's not a whole lot with actual nutritious value. And so there's a group in Fort Smith that my parents' church is part of that makes these little sacks. And the kids come to the, to the school office on Friday, and in their backpacks are put you know, some crackers and some applesauce, the kinds of things that don't need refrigeration, kinds of you know, healthy, nutritious food. It's a, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. And my kids go and help with that, Right? They're a part of this, of this program that reaches out into the community and does things. They're a part of, they're a part of boldness. Um, there, are, there are churches in this community that do some big and amazing things. Um, I was searching for some stuff. First Methodist, Operation Stand Down. Hadn't heard of this before, but um, it's a once-a-year program where they have sort of an all-encompassing two days for homeless in the community or people in the missions who can come they get food, they get shelter, they get clothing, they get blankets, but they also get the services they need. They can get in touch with medical services, with VA benefits, if that's relevant. Um, it's, it's kind of a full-service, everything, one-stop shopping for, um, for all the services this, this community might need. Um, there are other churches that are, that are serving in other ways, in other people. Um, mentoring programs in the city that reach out to, to youth who need who need a, uh, a stable influence in their life. There's a lot out there. We, as a community, we as a congregation, I don't feel like are bold. We as individuals are. So I look out at, at you all, and I know what you do. Well, not all of you, and that's, we'll come to that in a minute. But a lot of you I do. We do great things as individuals. I love the parable of the talents. One of the things I love most about Unitarian Universalism is that I no longer have to take all of any faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can now, I can now go to the Bible, and I can find the parts in it that speak to me and the parts that have value. And once I accept that I'm not required to take all of it, there's an enormous amount that speaks to me, and there's an enormous amount that has value for me. And I look at the parable of the talents and this idea that if you get stuff, you have to do something with it, right? It's not enough just to hold on to what you've been given and in, pre in preparation to hand it back someday. You've got to do more. I get my oil changed at Time It Quick Lube on Kings. Anybody ever go there? They have a 15% off for women on Wednesdays, which I object to on principle, but go because it's cheaper. <laughs> what can I say? That's true confession time. But there's a little card that I picked up there one day, and it talks about, I should have brought it, but I didn't. It talks about that this day was given to you by God, and um, whatever. This day was given to you. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. 
and that at the end of the day, all you have in exchange is what you've done with this day. You'll never get this day back, right? You have, you have today. You've got these 24 hours. And in exchange for that, at midnight, you have whatever you did with the day, and that's all you're ever going to get for this day. So you've got to use it. You've got to trade this day in for something worthwhile. And I really liked that. I went home and stuck it to the bulletin board, tried to read it every once in a while, right? This idea that we have this thing, and we've got to do something with it. We have a lot of gifts, and some of them we've worked really, really hard to get, and some of them we haven't. Some of them we lucked upon. Um, but regardless of whether we worked hard for them or were given them, we've got a responsibility to do something with them. We do it as individuals. The people in this church as individuals through their career choices and through their volunteer choices make a difference. I look out here and I see teachers and I see people who work in nonprofit and I see attorneys who don't look for cases where they're going to get the most personal gain. I see people who make a difference in their lives, who've chosen as careers to make a difference. And I see people who make a difference in their volunteer time. I see people who go out and spend hours doing, frankly, I've seen it terrible things at Pet Savers, the things that, um, that they go and they do. Pet Savers, it's a wonderful no-kill shelter. They do great stuff. Um, I've been there. It's not the place, I, but, I, but I love the fact that there are people in our church who do. We uh, give our time to Girl Scouts. We give our time to PACE. We give our time to PFLAG. We give our time to all sorts of places as individuals. And there are a few things we do as a church. Our church is active in interfaith. Our church is active in World Religion Day. But the list is pretty short of things we do as a church. We have a history of boldness. And as individuals, we are bold. And we have the capacity for boldness. But as a church, I don't think we're bold. I don't see it. And I think we ought to be. Because the other voices are out there. And the other voices are loud. And the other voices are scary. Because when a guy walks up to a Safeway in Tucson, Arizona, and starts shooting, and is aiming at a member of Congress, but among other people hits a nine-year-old, and that, that, that congresswoman was targeted, literally, by loud and angry and hateful groups, there has to be a voice in opposition to that. There has to be somebody else. There has to be some boldness that fights against that kind. Well, frankly, that fights against that kind of boldness, because it's a bold act. You have to admit it, right? I mean, it's a bold act, but not the kind of bold act I want us to do. So, what if we what if we thought about big things? What if we thought about big things? I'll tell you. When I've talked about this sermon to different people. Almost everybody, when I get to this point, jumps in with their big thing. I talked to uh, some friends of mine who are very involved in nonprofit and very involved in mentoring programs, and they leapt at the notion of us as a church embracing mentoring, embracing dealing with teens who need help on a one-on-one -on -one basis, that there's nothing that's been shown to be more effective, that it's bold because it's scary, right? It's a great leap to, to take on an individual whose life you're going to change. I talk to other people who say, yes, you know, the, the homeless in this town need this and this and this, and these are the ways we could fill these gaps, and these are the things that we can do. But we're already doing a lot, and I don't feel like I can say, here's our boldness. Here's what we have to do that's bold, because you have your boldness individually. We just need boldness as a community, as a group. So what if we were bold in smaller ways? 
And I've got some ideas. I've got some ideas about a, a member directory where we keep track of what we do as individuals. So that if I say, you know, literacy, as a teacher, what's more important than literacy? I don't know if anybody in this church volunteers with literacy programs, but I bet you somebody does. And I ought to know that, you know? I ought to know that. I ought to know who to talk to, but I don't. I've got an idea about, about challenging us as a community to do 2,011 hours of community service this year in 2011. If you divide it out among all of us, that's about half an hour a week per member. I don't know. It's not as bold as some ideas, but it's an idea. It doesn't have to be my idea, though, right? I don't think I get to say how we're going to be bold, what we ought to do. But I think we should do something. I think we should take a leap. It's a new year. It's a time for resolutions. It's a time for promises. It's a season to take risks and to be bold. To say from the song of the open road, from this hour, freedom. From this hour, I ordain myself loosed of limits and imaginary lines. If we're bold, if we're daring, where could we go? What could we do? How could we change the world? I say we find out.